Hello, everybody. It's Timmy Gibson here with you for the Timmy Gibson Show. Hey, <laughs> I'm super jazzed about today's interview or conversation. Uh, I've actually had him on the program before, Seth Andrews. He's uh, the podcaster. Uh, he's the uh, founder of Thinking Atheist. And so I'm going to give him a call right now. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories, <laughs> which will be fun. See if I ah, there we go. Hey, brother, Seth Andrews, how you what doing, you brother? <laughs> Man, enjoying a beautiful fall day here in Kansas City. How about you? Yeah, no kidding. It's like it's going to be eighty today, which is weird. So yeah, I, you know it. Uh, I don't know what it's like down there. I think we kind of follow each other on the weather patterns. But uh, you're down in Tulsa. Yesterday or the day before was freezing cold. Like we had snow and everything here. <laughs> and then uh, yesterday it started warming up. And then today, yeah, it's supposed to supposed to be pretty warm. So it's hard to. It. What do they say? If you, if you don't like the weather, just stick around for another day or two. It'll change. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. So, uh, what do you want to talk about today? Are we talking conspiracies? Is yeah, that I want to talk about conspiracies because I I find that I'm not sure why this. Well, I have a suspicion, but it seems that a little bit of the religious crowd can also get into the conspiracies. I've found <laughs> is yeah. that is that true or is that just me? Uh, I think it's true. I I think there's a lot of truth to it. But, um, do you? Yeah, we can do. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, do you do you have any uh, friends, family, anybody that's into that that whole QAnon? Oh, yeah. I wild mean, stuff. I, I, by the way, I switched to hands free. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, I can hear you great. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got direct family members. My own mother is, um, you know, she's got some wackadoodle ideas and. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting social experiment. So, yeah, it's something I'd be totally uh, game for talking about. You know, if that's what your show's about. I think that'd be a compelling topic. So count me in. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, yeah, my podcast, you know, it's funny. I Your podcast uh, inspired me, and I have a couple other friends that have podcasts. And and whenever the lockdown happened, I uh, thought, you know, I I've been talking about this for long enough. I'm just going to do it. And so yeah. I, you know, signed up with, with a podcast platform and push record and started talking. And yeah, then, yeah. uh, yeah, we're, I think this is like episode 148 or 149. So I've, I've been doing it for a little over a year and it's, uh, it's not turn it's not a money thing for me yet at this point. I haven't, I don't have sponsors. Uh, I, I want to do that and that's coming, um, as long as I can, you know, continue to grow the the podcast, but I mean, we have, you know, 12,000, over 12,000 downloads and, you know, quite a decent listener audience. And so, I mean, you know, I feel good about it. Um, but just like anything, you know, I want to continue to grow and scale it and which before we get into the, to the, the, uh, conspiracy theory stuff, I did actually have some questions, um, or just a couple questions about your podcast. Like, when and how and why did you start it? And because I know you've been in the <laughs> radio business or broadcaster yeah. journalism for a long time. So what's kind yeah. of been your journey with that? Well, I, um, I didn't even know you could do internet radio back in the day, you know, 
I didn't know what a podcast was. And back in 2010, I got invited on one. Uh, she, you know, she's like, Hey, we'd like to have you come and be a guest. And I'm like, uh, what, what's a podcast? What's going on? You know? <laughs> so I went and I, I did her show and I was like, Oh, you know, this is amazing. I, you can broadcast online. You're not constrained by a certain number of commercial breaks. You don't have a consultant or manager breathing down your, your neck. You can say really exactly what you want. And so, um, you know, a month later, I tried out my own. This was back in 2010. And there weren't very many podcasts, certainly no atheist, hardly any atheist podcasts. So I, you know, plus there weren't a lot of good storytellers at the time. We've gotten better at it. But, you know, there was a lot of data. A lot of these eggheads that were, you know, giving scientific information, but they weren't connecting emotionally with people. And yeah. I thought, well, this is a movement that needs storytellers. Maybe there's a niche I can fill. And so, you know, I happened to to come along at the right time and the show really took off. So, I mean, I started with like 1,200 people and, you know, we've been downloaded, I think, more than 50 million times over the past 10 years, 11 years, you know. That's awesome. Um, so uh, right now, though, I mean, you're a needle in a stack of needles. There's just a podcast on every corner. So, you know, I don't uh, people have options. So I don't have as many. I have a lot of listeners, but I don't have as many as I used to because people have so many options. It's almost like cable TV. There used to be three major networks. Now there's like 500 TV channels. You know, those I think those days of cornering the market are over and that's cool. Yeah. Now, do you do YouTube but, yeah. as well, Seth? Yeah, I um, I release the podcast to YouTube usually a, a few weeks after they go out on the podcast platform uh, because I've got Spreaker ads advertisements to the show and I don't want to dilute that, you know, sure. so I'll throw it out to YouTube later. And then I produce the occasional video. I interview various people's uh, people. I tell their stories. And so I've got camera gear when I go to a convention. I'll find targets of opportunity, sit down, talk to them. I'll, I'll produce think pieces about, uh, you know, accepting people and, and freeing yourself and put those together. So I do a little bit of everything, but, you know, I used to be a video producer that did occasional podcasts. Now I'm a oh. podcaster that occasionally produce videos. Okay. Well, the feedback that I got from our, our last, which is one of my, one of the top, um, I think it's in the top 10, a list of my uh, most popular podcasts that I've done was the interview I did with you. And I think mm -hmm. what, what people really appreciated is what, what I appreciated about you is that I, I forget what I called you, but a not, not a thoughtful atheist, but a, um, anyway, I, I, I forget what I said, but I said something that's a loving, an, a loving atheist or whatever it was. And, uh -huh. and people just found that they, they, I guess they love the fact that, you know, I'm not an atheist though. I'm not, I'm not Christian. I'm not religious, but I was still, yeah. I'm still holding on to a little bit of possibilities here. So they just thought it was cool that we, neither one of us were trying to convert one another and that it wasn't like a debate. We were just talking. Um, but that could be one. We, we know each other and we've known each other for years that as well as, um, it would be futile for either of us to try to do that. I think with each other. And I think the third thing is that, um, you know, just it's a conversation. <laughs> I mean, plus I'm, yeah. I'm pretty dang near close to being, I mean, there's so many things that you said that I'm like, yeah, I actually believe that. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is I still attend church, not every Sunday, but I will, I go to a, a Methodist pretty liberal church 
And, uh, you know, I know the pastor and he's a good dude, you know, but I sit there and it's funny. I, I sit there and someone says, how can you go when you don't believe? Uh, and I said, well, I said, you know, it, it does present a little bit of a struggle because I'll be sitting there and I believe in the heart of what they're saying. Like, you know, I think love or forgiveness and grace, all those things are neat things. But when they say that, you know, this all comes through, you know, this, or this is how that you can implement that is through, you know, God. And I'm like, no, that's not true. <laughs> I know people that are gracious yeah. and kind and loving who are atheists. So yeah, clearly so. that's not the, the path. So I struggle. I do struggle when I'm in, in a church um, with some of the f- things that they say. Uh, but I try to, I try to just allow myself to take the good, you know, spit out the bad and, and, you know, yeah. chalk it up to yeah. I'm there with some friends and it's community. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's why a lot of people go. I think they, uh, they really do find a sense of belonging and they enjoy hearing other points of view. And, yeah. You know, so probably yeah. the, Probably the, I don't know if you struggle with this, but I'm, I'm finding myself really having to check my, my pride and really try to maintain humility. I've, I've, I've had conversations with people, you know, religious people and I, and I really, I mean this with all humility, but there's a part of me, I'm just like, how do you, how can you be a thinking person and believe this? You know, it's, it's like my mind, there's just, there literally is a switch that has flipped and I just don't see how people can believe certain things. Because if you use, and and again, in my opinion, and when you use any kind of critical thinking, it's like, how can you still believe that? Like, can you, how can you be a critical thinker and believe that? someone spent three days in the belly of a big fish. Like, how can you honestly, Yeah, I don't know. I struggle. I struggle with that. And, and of course I used to be that way. So I don't know. Yeah. Is that something no, you struggle a, with or no? Is it just me? That, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've had those conversations, you know, this may be a, a great tie into your show, but, um, you know, how do, how do you break through and how do you ration, how do you, how do we come out of it and how do we help others out of it and how do otherwise intelligent people embrace such crazy stuff, you know? Yeah. So. Well, that's exactly what I wanted to lead into is this, this whole conspiracy theory. I've never, I was never really aware of many conspiracy theories before COVID before 2020 came in. I mean, I was familiar yeah. that people thought that the moon landing was fake, JFK stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I was aware that there were some flat earther nutty people, but I just chalked that up as to <laughs> they're crazy. Like, I mean, that's just ridiculous. No, no real smart person is going to believe that hogwash. Yeah. Uh, I, I, now. I run into more conspiracy theory I, and I'm single, right? So I'm dating around. I, I've dated a couple conspiracy theorists. And in fact, it, it ruined a couple of relationships, you know, when, when they would kind of talk about the QAnon type stuff, yeah. I thought, Oh my God, no, really? You believe that they're sucking the blood of children Yeah, and yeah. for the adrenochrome, like what yeah. the Fuck, that is the craziest yeah. thing in the world. And they with the yeah. straightest face in all the world 
well, there, you know, I mean, you, and I'm like, you really believe this? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. So, yeah. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you help people? I guess a couple of things. How do people believe that? How do people believe something so out there? Um, well, I mean, is, you know, the, I think it's a hugely complex thing. Is this for the show here? Are we, are we yep. talking for yep. your broadcast? Yep. I, um, I, I think there are several challenges. One is that there are genuine conspiracies that we have seen in our history. You know, we've seen, uh, actual conspiracies to do ill or to you know do subversive things whether it's watergate or oh, sports figures and yeah yeah and you know there are famous athletes who conspired to point shave or fix games for cash you know with their bookies and you know we saw a militia that conspired to kidnap and maybe even kill the the governor of michigan gretchen whitmer and and, you know, throughout history, you know, whether it's the conspiracy to kill Caesar or whatnot, there have been actual conspiracies out there. Right. And so, I, you know, people can point to those and say, aha, you know, these things do happen. But when it comes to you know, all these other ones, the crazy ones, you know, the moon landing was faked and jets are spreading chemtrails with chemicals to control our minds. And, 5G is causing yeah. COVID. JFK was assassinated by these black ops people from the grassy knoll and Fauci and Soros and Bill Gates are all in league with each other. And, you know, the UFO thing, like the government recently declassified a bunch of reports and uh, video from fighter jets. And, you know, the results were we still call them UFOs. We don't know what they are. They're still right. identified. I mean, nothing's changed since the 1950s. You know? But people latch on to that stuff, you know, the deep state. And and we saw this back during the satanic panic of the 1980s. And to a degree, the, the satanic panic continues today, right? We were, we believed that there was a conspiracy to load rock music with satanic messages. And so we were spinning our records backwards, listening for secret hidden messages from the devil himself. You know, I, I think people operate and respond to conspiracy theories in some ways out of fear. I think fear of the other, right. you know, they're out there, they're out to get us. I think some of that is rooted in insecurity. I think sometimes it's rooted in ego. You know, I'm sorry, you're one of the sheeple. I'm sorry, you're so, uh, you know, vulnerable and stupid that you would believe the quote unquote experts, the party line, uh, I'm above it all. I'm outside it all. You, you know, you'll, uh, I'm, I'm superior to all of this. I think that feeds the ego a little bit. Yeah. There's also, um, I think some of it is steeped in many people who were raised in fundy religions uh, because there was a recent um, study that had come out a few years ago about children raised to believe in in religious teachings, you know, the myth of Adam and Eve and and or, you know, uh, uh, the myths in the Quran, you know, where the prophet rode to heaven on a winged horse and that kind of thing. Right. And those young children who were primed to believe really outrageous stuff were actually more susceptible 
to outrageous claims in the rest of their lives. You know, they've been sort of programmed to respond. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people will often ask, why do you oppose the indoctrination of young children? Why do I think kids need to be given a choice whether or not they, you know, it's a difference between teaching a child how to think and telling them what to think. Absolutely. I think if you teach them how to think and then they come to a specific position, religious or otherwise on their own, I think there's more validity to that. But if you pound into them this fear of the other and this notion that, well, we are on the high mountain looking down our noses at the unwashed, the other, the sheeple. And if you add in a penchant for believing the unbelievable, I think that's just a perfect storm. So when conspiracy theories come along, people just latch onto them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that there seems to be a, a correlation to having been raised to believe in mythical type scenarios that, that it just makes sense that you would lean to mythical <laughs> type things and, yeah. and be a little bit more uh, prepped, I guess, to, to believe those are quick to believe those things um, just because, you know, you, you believe in the, the tooth fairy. So it's not that far of a stretch to believe that, there's a cabal that's, you know, underpinning the entire world, the secret society. Um, yeah. It's so well, fanciful. I mean, not, not to beat a dead horse here, and I don't mean to offend anybody who believes a literal Bible, but I, I stand as a former evangelical, and this is just one man's opinion. You can take it or leave it. But I have come to believe that Christianity itself is a conspiracy theory. What we have is we have a good versus evil scenario. We've got the classic hero versus villain story. And, you know, Christianity tells people that the devil is out there. Beware the one who comes to steal, kill and destroy. You know, he's uh, the f- f- called often the father of light, meaning he's spreading light to to try to blind you, uh, acting as the good and or the angel of light, rather. Um And, you know, if you get into things like the book of Revelation, there will be a one world government, there will be rogue forces, the sky will part, and there will be all of these curses and sulfur from the sky. All of this is a is a precursor to the return of God, who will then give control of the earth over to the Antichrist. And if you look at it in terms of story, this is all one big conspiracy theory. You know, they're coming to get us. There's a plan, an evil lair and, you know, a dastardly villain. And he's concocting this hideous plan and people will be sucked into it and everybody beware. And so, you know, man, if you're raised in, as I was, to believe in a literal Genesis through Revelation, then if you come to me and you tell me that, the Antichrist may be tied to Russia or China or the Catholic Church or even a specific Democratic president. I'm a little more inclined to say, oh, yeah, tell me more. Right, right. right. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't, yeah. I, you know, I actually agree with you. I feel like there is um, a lot of conspiratorial you know, views in Scripture. I, I don't. I obviously don't hold to a literal view of the Bible, of course, anymore and and have such a mixed bag of of what I think, because the the truth is when people say, well, what do you believe about heaven? Or I'm like, well, first, 
I don't believe in it. Secondly, who the fuck knows? Anybody that says they know about something to do with the afterlife, just mark it down. They don't. Yeah. Nobody yeah. does. I don't give a fuck who they are, how many letters are after the name. I don't care if they can speak Hebrew, Greek, Latin. It doesn't matter. Nobody knows. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I it, it aggravates me whenever someone thinks that they know something about something that clearly you can't know it. You can't. It's impossible to know. Uh, well, the same can be true of the, even the book of Genesis. I mean, this is... I'm I'm working on a manuscript for a new book that's going to release in 2022, and we talk a little bit about how there's no one who knows who wrote the book of Genesis, and the apologist will say, "Well, we we think it's Moses. Tradition says it's Moses, right. <laughs> but but uh, how, you know we don't have proof that there was a Moses, and even if you believe, if you claim that Moses wrote the book, well, we're talking about documenting before space-time, before the creation of the universe, before the creation of Earth, before the creation of the first humans, Adam and Eve. I mean, this is what, this isn't reporting. This is somebody after the fact saying, well, a long time ago, this happened. So how do you know it's true? And um, these are, unfortunately, in the faith, controversial questions. Where did it come from? Who authored it? But there is not one person who can verify who wrote not just Genesis, but any of the books of the Bible. We just don't know. And you're right when it comes to those fantastic claims. I, I hold to what Carl Sagan said. Extraordinary claims do require extraordinary evidence. And I think this is true with conspiracy theories. If you're going to come to me and tell me that Bill Gates and, and um, Fauci roomed together at Cornell University, which they did not, and that Bill Gates put a patent in for a radio tracking chip, which he did not, and that the company that gassed the Jews and during the Holocaust is behind the Moderna vaccine. It is not. You know, if you're going to make all these claims, you're going to have to bring extraordinary evidence to back it up. But for many, I think the story is enough. The claim is enough. It's exciting. It's compelling. It makes you feel special for not going along with, quote, unquote, the herd. Yes. And especially in the in the uh, time of the Twitter and Facebook algorithm. Right. If you start to post and read some of this QAnon type stuff you're going to see and hear and encounter more of this QAnon type stuff. And that becomes a reinforcement culture where you're in a bubble, man. You're, you're in an echo, echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a, essentially a reinforcement culture where you send out the signal and it bounces right back to you and you feel validated. And man, I'm scared of that world. You know, what happens yeah. when people with the worst ideas, uh, believe that that's their world, you know, that's reality. Well, I think that's what January 6th gave us an insight to. I, yeah. I think you get in that echo chamber and, and this confirmation, confirmation bias. And like you said, you, you say it, it bounces out and comes back right at you affirming what you've already said. And it just emboldens you to, to, to believe something that as an outsider, you know, I look in and go, Oh, you cannot see that that's absolutely insane. Like that's absolutely crazy. But when you're in that, in that echo chamber, it, 
you know, I was there. I mean, I remember I was in charismatic seminary and I remember when I first even went there, I remember some of the things that they taught and said, I, I felt uncomfortable with it, but you know, a few months in pretty soon I'm buying into the whole thing, you yeah. know, I'm buying into all of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, and I think it feeds the, it feeds the psyche. It feeds your heart. I think it feel, feeds identity. If I get together with a whole bunch of people and we feel like we are crusaders on a mission against evil and evil again can be the other. And, and we, it's funny how, how little I'd been introduced to the world outside. I mean, Christianity, the church in general, and this is true with Islam and to a degree, fundamental Orthodox Judaism is that you are taught to distrust those outside and to keep you on the inside, there are these Christian bubble alternatives to whatever you might need. You need your children need daycare. Oh, we've got a Christian daycare. You like great music? We've got Christian music. Uh, how about apparel? Oh, look, we've got cross necklaces and t-shirts. <laughs> Do you need? That's why Striper. Recovery? That's why Striper was such a big thing in the eighties, <laughs> Seth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are, are you struggling with addiction or recovering? We've got addiction recovery. We've got a divorce recovery. We've got a place for singles to meet, right? Why else do we have ChristianMingle.com online? I mean, there's a Christian alternative to almost everything. Now we see all these Christian films come out from organizations like Pure Flix, and they're like, well, you know, don't trust Hollywood. Uh, we've got some great Christian films that are safe for the whole family. And, and man, I mean, once you get on that hamster wheel, <laughs> now you're really not engaging the culture. You're not engaging other people. And, and how do you come to be introduced to new ideas? How do you broaden your horizon if you never get introduced to those who might be different or who disagree? And yet that's more and more happening in, in the era of the algorithm, for sure. It's what I think it's what saved me was getting outside of my bubble and interacting with real people. I, I said this, I don't know if I said this to you last time we talked or I've said it before and just, I love analogies on helping me understand my, even my own life, but much like the Truman show or the movie, the village, uh, I think both of those have a kind of this similar vibe, but it's like there's like there's a picture of a field up on my wall, a picture if there's an actual picture up on the wall. It's like I lived in that picture as and and you know it was it seemed beautiful, it was all I knew, it was all I understood, but there were some things that didn't make sense and as I peered outside of the picture out here into the real world, then I when I climbed out of the picture and realized that holy shit, I was in a picture on a wall in a house that's in a neighborhood that's in a world like there's a whole world out here uh and what i had been taught and believed uh just isn't accurate it's just not true it, 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 there's so many things that i look back on and think i actually believed that and i it's not just maybe not true it's for sure not true kind of like you know, guys, if you believe in a flat earth, you're a moron. I have a video of a satellite, <laughs> a satellite right now filming live flying around the fucking earth. You moron. Like yeah. it's so, and of course, you know, I say that that's me though. Like that was me. I was in, I was in that bubble and, and just everything about, I, I watched the Christian movies. I left, you were talking about the, 
end time revelation stuff. And I'm thinking I was laughing to myself as you were saying that going, well, of course, Seth probably uh, read the Left Behind series like I did. And yeah. because it was a biblical fiction series. <laughs> yeah. and well, But it was it was rooted in the book of Revelation. And for that reason, it added special urgency because the conspiracy of it all resonated with our religious belief. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just had a because a, a my parents like yours, which my parents have done. I've, I've been real impressed. I told my parents this the other day and they listen to every one of my podcasts and, and, uh, they do such a good job because, um, you know, I finally just had a real open, honest conversation with them and just said, Hey guys, like clearly we can't talk about religion. You know, I don't, I don't believe what you believe and, and, and I know what you believe and I, and I know what you think. I know that you privately pray for me and all that. And that's fine. I mean, you do you, um, but you know, quit, quit trying to save me. And they've done that. they, like when I go over there, they, they, now it's hard for them. You know, their, their whole worldview is obviously Jesus, this Jesus, that and the Bible, this and the Gaithers and the, you know, <laughs> TBN. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. that's, that's their lingo. That's their world. So it's hard to not have it spill out a little bit. Um, and I try to do my part too, that when they say stuff that are, that's real to them, that I, in my mind, think it's utterly insanity. Um, you know, I just listen. I let them, you know, tell me how they had an encounter with God in prayer that morning and whatever. And that's fine. Like that's, that's real to you. I mean, in the beginning, it, it was hard for me to even hear it, you know, cause I wanted to just point out how that, that doesn't make any sense that, at all. And so yeah. I wish you would quit thinking so weirdly. Um, but I, you know, I think I've grown in this journey too, and realize that everybody has the right to believe whatever crazy fucking thing they want to believe. I suppose, um, <laughs> just you know, and and <laughs> let them, let them, let live, let them be. <laughs> well, one of the challenges that we face, and I think it speaks to efficacy and tactics. If you come across somebody who holds to a position that you're convinced is a debunked or wrong or, or, you know, scientifically, historically, morally untenable position. How do you break through? And sometimes it, it just seems impossible. There's a great Netflix documentary called Behind the Curve, and you'd mentioned flat earthers. And it follows this uh, culture of people who believe that the earth is flat and that it's all, you know, the idea of a spherical planet has all been concocted, right? And, and they have that same mindset. We we're smarter than everybody else who bought the party line, you know? So interestingly, they put together a series of experiments to prove that the earth is flat. And so, you know, they took a station and they put a laser to shoot straight out and they had a receptacle far, like miles away to receive the laser. And their experiment should have been a straight line from the sender to the receiver station because the earth was not curved. And yet the laser didn't line up. <laughs> the, laser, the laser was too high. And the reason was, is that the earth is not flat. It is a sphere. But rather than accept the results of the experiment, they declared that the experiment was flawed and they went back and tried to alter the experiment to give them the results that they wanted, which yeah. is not how science works. And you and I, you know, whenever we speak to a lot of people and we're like, well, actually, the QAnon conspiracy about the blood drinking Democrats who were child trafficking, et cetera, 
this is debunked. This is not true. They simply double down yeah. and say, well, now, now it's doubly true. Now I believe it twice as much. I'm reminded of that guy who heard that uh, the Comet Pizza establishment in Washington, D.C. was running a QAnon child trafficking uh, organization out of its basement. And he became convinced that children were in danger. So he grabbed a, an AR-15 and he walked into Comet Pizza and he shot the place up. Fortunately, nobody was hit. And he demanded to see the basement so he could liberate the kids. And he was informed that uh, Comet Pizza doesn't even have a basement. He found no evidence of any child trafficking. There was nothing there. And yet people are still protesting and sending them hate mail and threatening the owner and claiming that they're behind this cabal of Satanist child traffickers. The evidence did not change their mind. And man, I think that's where the real challenge is. What happens when the data doesn't matter? What happens when the refutations are rejected? How do you get through? And it's not always possible, unfortunately. It's like that story. I don't know if you've heard the story of the flat earther that uh, he died and goes to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he meets St. Peter at the gate. And he's like, I want to talk to God. And so St. Peter takes him straight to God's chambers. And he asks God, he said, you know what? I, I just have to know, will you confirm that the earth is flat? And God says, no, the earth is a sphere, you moron. And the guy, when he left the chambers of God, he said to St. Peter, he said, man, he goes, this cover-up goes all the way to the top. <laughs> yeah. In other words, like you yeah. just said, like you just continue to double down and triple down. And, and that's what I did. And that's what I did. I, I think, or what people do within the, again, for those that listen to my podcast and you're a Christian, that's fine. You do you. I'm just, this is my journey. But I find often that's kind of what happens in the Christian church. It, at least what I did, I would just double down, you know, well, the earth is 6,000 years old. So when science says, you know, no, like we have civilizations that date back, you know, whatever. So clearly that's not true. Well, then all of a sudden, what do you do? Well, carbon dating can't be trusted and, and that, you know, the, the age of the earth could have been sped up and it seems that it's older, but it's not all the tricks and the weird nutty stuff that now I look at and just think that makes someone look so absolutely a fry short of a happy meal. You know, now it's, 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 you know, the dinosaur bones were put here by the devil. I'm sure you've heard that one. You know, the, yeah. the dinosaur bones were, were put here by the devil. That's the only way you can explain, you know, that there were dinosaurs on the earth 65 million years ago. Well, there, no, then here's how we can do backflips and make that make sense in a biblical and in, in, in maintaining a biblical literal view point. I think I'm struck by the lack of curiosity I had when somebody would bring to me a, a point that I had been sort of trained to disagree with, you know, whether it was carbon dating and dinosaurs. Well, you know, I, I didn't go any further down that rabbit hole to find out 
that carbon dating is actually not used to date the dinosaurs because carbon dating is the wrong test. There are different types of radiometric dating that are used for different uh, eras, depending on how many years you go back. Carbon dating is not effective for dinosaurs. So when you hear apologists like Kent Hovind and other, and they're like, well, carbon dating is wrong because dinosaurs you know, I never went back and actually learned the scientific processes. How is this actually done? When I heard that the vast majority, 98% of the world's climate scientists say that we are in some way affecting the climate. Well, I mean, I've been conditioned to see myself as a Christian dominionist. Uh, we have dominion over the earth. It's arrogant to think that humans could ever affect climates. God's going to come sweep up anyway before the rapture. The earth is a resource for us to use up however we choose. You know, I never actually went deeper and thought, well, what is the science and yeah. what does the data say? And is there anything to this? And no matter where you fall on climate change, I think it's the lack of curiosity, the, the desire to follow that chain of evidence to find out one way or the other. You know, we if you're a genuine seeker after truth, then I don't think you start with an answer and then go out and find confirming evidence to support the answer. I think you have to follow those breadcrumbs wherever they lead you. And if they lead you to a strange or even uncomfortable place, it doesn't mean that the problem is the breadcrumbs, you know, the, right. the chain of evidence. I think we have to follow the evidence and say, well, what does the evidence support? And, and then be prepared for inconvenience and even discomfort if it doesn't fit our established answer. I think, you know, we need to be prepared to adjust and change. It was Sagan himself who said science is, is uh, a process. It's, it's a method for understanding the world. It's not a conclusion. It's not a data point. It's not a fixed thing that can never move. It's actually a, a way of thinking so that we can better understand the world. And that's something I think I'd like to have seen encouraged in me when I was a kid. And it's something I try to encourage in others today. So. Yeah, me too. You said a couple things there that that I really resonate with one is, you know, being raised in a culture where they were teaching you what is true, which, you know, now isn't, it, it isn't true. <laughs> I realized that what I was taught to be true isn't yeah. true, but that there's a, there was a debate that really impacted me um, deeply, very deeply in fact. And it was a, a Bill Nye, the science guy. And he was talking to that. I forget the guy's name, the creationist yeah, guy. Yeah. Ken and, Ham of Answers in Genesis. Yes, yeah. yes, they were they were in a debate, and it was one question that that did tip me over. And to be fair, I'll tell you about another debate I watched. But this particular debate, there they were asked, "What if anything could get you to change your mind?" And Ham guy said, "Nothing, right? <laughs> There's nothing that would change my mind," which. Even when he was saying that, I thought, well, that sounds ignorant, but okay, whatever. And then when they asked Bill Nye, the science guy, you know what, if anything would change your mind. And he said simply evidence. Yeah. Like if there was evidence of God, he said, I would believe, you know? And I thought to myself, yes, that, that to me, that, that won the debate that all the other stuff that went on in that debate is neither here nor there. That one question to me is what 
really tipped the scales for me and realized that I, like you, I'm a seeker of truth, wherever that truth will lead, wherever that truth will lead. If it leads me that, Hey, the, the facts and the truths are that, you know, Jesus didn't exist. Well, then that's what I'm going to believe. I want to go with the truth, not what I'm told is true, but what is actually factually true and provable uh, yeah. rather than just this is the narrative, stick with the narrative and and don't open your mind. And, you know, and I find that with political things, too. I'm pretty down the middle. I can lean left on one issue and right on another issue. But, man, you get into these political parties and some people are like one hundred and fucking ten percent. They're. Republican and crazy. And then same on the other side, they're 100% Democrat and fucking crazy. They're just straight down the policy line. And I find that a lot like religion. You're just straight down the religious, religious line. You're, you're, you're just sticking with the whole narrative and, and evidence that comes. That's a little contrary to what you believe. You just ignore it and double down, triple down. And, you know, and I find that I don't know. I I, I find that despicable uh, in every area of life because I want to just I'm a truth I'm a truth seeker. I, I, well, uh, I you know I I was speaking to um, a psychiatrist and a psychologist on a broadcast, and we were talking about the brain's defensive mechanisms. And when it comes to ideas that we find. Uh, we disagree with something that clashes against uh, a belief, especially one that links to our identity. The same mechanisms of our brain kick in that would kick in in response to a physical threat. The amygdala fires up, you know, and, and it's interesting because if I feel like someone's coming after me with a baseball bat, you know, something about me doubles down fight or flight. And often when someone comes to me and they say, well, you know, the book of Genesis isn't demonstrably true and Adam and Eve is a myth and we can find echoes of that story in previous religions, even pagan ones. And Christ wasn't the only virgin birth. There was Inanna and, and Perseus, they had virgin births and there were other gods that were dying and rising gods that predated Christ, etc. You know, I, I would, uh, I wouldn't say, oh, that's interesting. I can't wait to find out more. I'm ready to adjust my belief system. Instead, my brain that has a belief that's linked to my identity fires up the fight or flight response. It feels the threat and it doubles down. I, I hunker down. And uh, the only way I have had any real success in conversations, and I think this probably segues us into how do we how do we change minds, even our own, right? Yeah. Is um, is questions. What a friend of mine likes to, he he use, he runs a channel called Street Epistemology. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. How do we know the things we know? How do we come to knowledge, right? Yeah. And uh, it uses the Socratic method, which is a bunch of questions. So instead of going up to somebody and saying, um, well, the, you know, the book of Genesis is just the biggest bunch of crap. And whoever believes it is an idiot, which, you know, <laughs> which isn't, is not true. I mean, there are a lot of tremendously thoughtful, intelligent people who hold to the Bible. Yes. Yeah. But instead, you know, you go to them and you lead with questions. Who do you, who do you know who wrote the book of Genesis? Uh, did you know there are two conflicting Adam and Eve accounts, uh, Genesis one and two, 
have a different order of creation. How did you know that? How would you reconcile that? What are your thoughts about that? Uh, do you think the Ten Commandments should be displayed in taxpayer-funded institutions like the Capitol buildings and in courts of law? Just you know, how uh, do all right? Can you name for me the Ten Commandments? How important are they to you? You you're just asking questions, and what that does is it often, not always, but often keeps the interlocutor from feeling like they're being attacked. And it also leaves the burden of proof on the person making the claim. They're the ones who are simply having to explain or justify, how did I get here? Why do I believe what I believe? And sometimes there's usefulness in that because it plants the seed. And maybe, you know, when they're off in the dark corner, and they're being honest with themselves, realizing that they didn't have a good answer. They didn't really know. Maybe that seed begins to grow into something more. And then they give themselves permission to ask a few more questions and a few more. And I think the same can be true with conspiracies. You know, how did you come to that? Who, who, who is QAnon? Who is Q? Right. <laughs> you know, how could, how could Fauci and uh, Bill Gates have concocted the RFID chip if Fauci was in college at the time that Bill Gates was 10 years old, <laughs> you know, and still living at home. Did you know there was that much of an age difference and that they did not attend Cornell? How, how then do you think they would have come up with the radio tracking chip together in college? You know, you're still putting a question mark at the end of it. Right. But it remains a challenge. And the street epistemology approach then causes the person with extraordinary claims to meet a burden of proof and give you extraordinary evidence. And if they if they cannot, I think it becomes apparent pretty quickly. And I think there's utility in that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a um, I don't know where for you, if there was this this was a nurture or a nature personal journey for you, or if there was a person that really played a huge role in kind of helping you to, to open and expand your mind, which actually that is a, that is a question. What, was there a person in your life that kind of helped you begin to like doing what you just said? Like, was there someone in your life asking you questions or was there an, an event that happened or was there just this awareness because i know you said there was a, a famous singer that passed away and that really kind of jolted you uh, in your your christian faith was it that or what was there a book that you read a podcast <laughs> that you listened to yeah. that made you realize i should ask more questions yeah well uh, you know i think it was a few major things and a ton of small ones when i was in the 90s i remember i was hugely anti-gay and uh, my best friend came out to me as as gay and I was traumatized. You know, he's going to hell. He's in rebellion against God. He's a pervert. You know, oh, and we God. didn't speak for a year. And it was my fault yeah. because I checked out and I finally, you know, realized my life is better with him in it. I miss him terribly. He's my best friend. He was best man at my wedding. And so I start, I, what I did was I ended up saying, well, you know, God would never send Corey to hell. So I took those anti-gay verses throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, and I just kind of took some white out in my mind. I mean, right. you know, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to take those out of the game. I'm not going to worry about that. God would never do that. So here I am and I'm starting to make moral judgments outside of this 
supposed foundation for all morality, right? And then I began to read uh, various Old Testament verses, you know, the slaughtering of people in all these different cities, and, you know, causing women to drink the bitter water to abort the child if she suspected of being a harlot and burning witches and beating slaves. And so I did white out on that, you know, right. and then um, some some major events took place. Yeah. Uh, I found myself doing a cafeteria Christianity. I just, it's like being at the buffet. I skip over the stuff, you know, I don't want the okra. I hate okra, but you know, I love mashed potatoes. I'll take those and I'll take this. And I did that with the Bible. I think most people do. Well, then you get divorced. But, you got to uh, wipe that out. <laughs> yeah. Like... Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, I, I, I really found myself distancing myself into my 30s. I was really distancing myself. So then you get into the, well, you know, I'm, I, I don't hold to the whole Bible, but I am a Christian. And then I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not a Christian, but I am more spiritual. And, and you take these steps out away. And uh, I was really at a point of critical mass when I stumbled upon a debate video by Christopher Hitchens. The late Christopher Hitchens was a you know, hugely famous, outspoken anti-theist. Yeah. And uh, he did a debate with a rabbi in New York at the 92nd Street Y back in 2008. Now, I'm not Jewish, but I thought, well, certainly the good rabbi can defend the Abrahamic God. I mean, he's got this, right? And I I don't know, I just happened to pull it up. I'm working on some stuff at the office, some brainless work and graphics and stuff. I was a video producer. So I just played the video debate in the background. And 90 minutes later, my jaw was on the ground because I I thought the atheist is not supposed to make the most sense. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how, he, but uh, he's uh, how did how does this happen? How does this guy say so many reasonable things? And he echoed some of the the things that I had been secretly navigating in my heart. And and then I began to google and youtube and research and buy books and and finally step out of my tribe to become introduced to the world outside i became introduced to evolutionary science beyond what they told us it was at sunday church you know the, if you want to learn about the science of evolution church is the worst place oh absolutely, <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know i mean christians quote unquote science books are the worst place to learn <laughs> <laughs> and you know you, you start to to give yourself permission to doubt and to uh go out and dig and find out and ask questions and genuinely be curious man those dominoes start to fall pretty quickly and that was a journey that took me a little over a year and at the end of the day i just thought man i i mean i this is kind of where i am i, I just don't buy it and more than that i i thought i i don't think i need it I'm still good. I still love people. I have a sense of purpose. I you mean, you left you when you left religion, you didn't become a, a rapist, murderer, <laughs> uh, thief. <laughs> no, I didn't go out and, you know, set fire to everything and everyone I know. And I, I didn't become this sad, rudderless, pathetic, uh, human being. I, in fact, for the first time, I, I felt like I wasn't jamming the square peg into the round hole. Like, it's okay to accept people for who they are. You know, you're LGBTQ, fine. You know, yeah. it, it, you if you're uh, of, of an opposing political party, as long as you're not hurting somebody, we may disagree philosophically, but I don't think you're an agent of the devil right. that's trying to bring about the end of the world. And 
And, you know, the different people no longer threatened me. Muslims, I used to think, oh, Muslims slash terrorists. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> And now I'm, I'm like, you know what? Uh, Muslims today are largely overwhelmingly peace loving who've done yep. what Christians have done. They just they've distanced themselves from the violent parts. They had a cafeteria Muslim yep. faith and the extremists, you know, they don't represent all people who practice and pray and do all those types of things. And right. I've met so many Muslims in my life who were just lovely, lovely, lovely people. I would have never known that had I not stepped outside. And uh, so, you know, the, the long answer, unfortunately, is that uh, I think it was it, it was a series of uh, just dissatisfaction over the course of years. And finally, in my 30s, giving myself permission to say, is this true? Does it make sense? And if it doesn't make sense, what am I prepared to do about it? You know? Yeah, I, I guess I'm I would maybe I'm not sure where I'm at in my journey, though. I wish I would have come to it in an, in an earlier time um, because I was living the cafeteria Christian life pretty, pretty early on just because there were some things that I just was like, uh, no, I just can't, I can't go that way. And so I always kind of appeared to be this kind of a rebellious contemporary, you know, modern, um, you know, evangelical pushing the envelope. And, you know, I was the drinking and smoking cigars while teaching the Bible, <laughs> you know, I was that guy, uh, which, which, you know, which, uh, fine. That was part of my, my continued journey, but much like you, yeah, there wasn't just this one occasion. There were just these little things along the way, little things along the way that, that just, weren't lining up. And, and like you said, eventually, as you live the, the cafeteria lot Christian life, pretty, pretty soon, there's really nothing in the cafeteria line. <laughs> it's like, there's yeah. just, there's no, there's nothing. I've whited it all out. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what, there's really not much in here except, you know, maybe the heart and the message of, of what is, is a given to Jesus as the one that said it or, whatever, like, you know, the love and the kindness and the forgiveness and love your neighbor and be kind to people like all that stuff, you know, that stuff's all stuck pretty good. Um, it's just everything around it that I just whited out and thought this yeah. is just absolutely uh, ridiculous. I had someone, I had something going back to the conspiracy theory thought I had someone send me a video, which I find myself doing this a lot, fact checking. I'm constantly fact checking the, the stuff that I get. And I'm sure you, you've seen this one cause it, it was a pretty big one, but there was a, a woman named Tiffany Dover. She's a nurse. And upon receiving the vaccine on live television, she passes out. Yeah. And, um, the, the anti-vaxxers and the, the conspiracy theory people went bonkers and there are videos that she died and I had someone send me a video, uh, saying that, you know, she's, she's died and the media's covered it up. They're not announcing it. They're not, you know, it's, it's whatever. I did a little fact checking. Nope. She's not fucking dead. She went into hiding because of all the crazy anti-vaxxers that were coming to her work, sending her mail, phone calls, harassment, going to her house. I mean, insane. Yeah. In, in, a, in an attempt to 
to validate, you know, their belief in, in what they think about the vaccine. It's like, dear Lord, people, it's yeah. like, like, I don't think, you know, I don't know where you are on this. Like I'm totally against the mandates, but I'm like, the vaccine's not out to get you guys. It's, it's supposed to help you. you what is your <laughs> well, fucking yeah. problem? I'm interested, you know, in all the vaccines that we that were required for us to attend school, right? You got to go in and get this vaccine and that vaccine, and you got to go show, show proof of records to be able to, when you're a kid, you know, right. and it was just a given. And I, I look back and I, I think, um, you know, why this one? And I wonder if maybe it's a lot more of a political football maybe. than anything else, you know, people like to flip out at. And, and where do we get our information? Who do we trust? You know, when you've got actress Jenny McCarthy saying, you know, she had a child with autism and she just decided that it was because of vaccines. And this one Z-level celebrity who's not a physician, who doesn't, who's not a, a biologist, who doesn't understand uh, vaccine science at all, she just decided that uh, a vaccine gave her kid autism. She is essentially one of the cornerstones of an entire movement, global movement of people who are now not wanting to vaccinate all their children for fear of autism. And yeah. yet, you know, we see the WHO, we see the CDC, we see the medical community all saying there is zero, no, no evidence at all that, uh, in fact, there's overwhelming evidence against the claim that vaccines yeah. cause autism. It just isn't true. And yet, you know, it was it Twain who said it's a lot easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. And man, that's one of the Ooh, challenges. With say that again. It's a lot easier to fool people than to convince them that they have been fooled. Wow. Yeah. That. Wow. I've never heard that quote before. And that is fascinating. I think that's Mark Twain. So. Yeah. Wow. That is a fascinating concept. I, I've been doing uh, uh, too much probably research on on the whole, um, just the critical thinking, confirmation bias, uh, that whole world of understanding. Because you, you mentioned this in early on when we first started talking about how do we help people see the truth or how do we help or just even for ourselves, forget about helping anybody else. Just let's turn this inward. How can we sift through information and come to find out what is true or what is, what is right? I know for me, a lot of, a lot of my positions on things come from my personal experience, which is what's led me away from religious faith or not faith necessarily, but led me away from yeah. Christianity or led me away from being religious was just simply that my experience was contrary. It was conflicting to, to what was really happening in, in real life. And, and that's frankly, what has really shaped my entire worldview. You know, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch, but I'm, I'm an anti, like, I don't like drugs. I don't take I smoke weed, but I mean, I don't, I don't like to take pills. You know what I mean? Like I'm, and I, there's a reason for it, right? My sister died of a drug overdose. My younger sister did. So I'm real anti, Oh, I got a sniffle. Let's go to the doctor and start on a antibiotic. You know, yep. I, I'm real anti that. So I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, right? I'm the guy that's that all natural, healthy, organic. I try to do everything, you know, and I exercise, I eat right. I do all that stuff. <laughs> I don't drink, I don't drink pop. Um, 
but that's because it's more of a personal health choice. And I would rather not be dependent on drugs to, to, you know, unless I had to, if I had to take something because I absolutely had to, but you know, I had high blood pressure for a little bit and rather than going on drugs, I changed my diet and did some different things. And all of a sudden I was able to regulate it just through exercise and, and nutrition. So but that's just my personal choice. I didn't want to lean yeah. on a on a drug for the rest of my life. And frankly, just to be honest with you, I didn't want to lean on something that might affect my boners. <laughs> <laughs> situation where the side effects are worse than the cure, right? And I think those are valid conversations. And I think that speaks to the complexity of these issues. You and I live in a, a culture where people want whatever we're talking about to fit in a 280-character Twitter post, right? Right. Uh, they... Uh, you know, if you if you come to them and you're like, well, this is complex and there are a lot of facets that we need to discuss. I mean, on a, set, a planet of seven billion people, you know, people don't fit into a cookie cutter. It's it's like and I get frustrated with some people in the atheist movement when they talk about religious people. You know, they they put all religious people into this tiny box and talk about the Christians or the Muslims or the Buddhists or whatever. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, you're going to find a huge spectrum of humanity out there, uh, just like you would find with atheists. I mean, you'll find amazing, wonderful people who don't believe in a God. You'll find hideous, terrible people who don't believe in it. You'll find smart people and dumb people. We have conspiracy theorists in the atheist movement. I mean, I've run into people. I I met a flat earth atheist in Chicago. (laughs) He was like, uh, we need to talk. I want to talk about flat earth. And I was like, oh my God, you cannot believe this. You know, but it's proof that we are all the human condition. And we, uh, I think, you know, we're all su- subject to being wrong or to being irrational. And, and uh, you know, to the world doesn't always fit on a bumper sticker. We have got to do a better job of allowing for nuance and complexity and being thoughtful about the important issues that are that. So, you know, even then when I approach a conspiracy theorist, yes, yeah, sometimes I want to put my head through the brick wall and say, what, what's the matter with you? And, and sometimes I do. But, you know, some uh, more than that, I'm like, uh, this person is a victim of bad ideas. How did they get there? And then if I'm feeling like I genuinely do want to engage, I can kick in that Socratic method, the questions and say, well, how did you get there? Where did you get your information? How do you support that? Not believing that they're going to change on a dime, but simply for the first time for many people, asking them to demonstrate what they believe. You know, it's not just belief in belief. I, I don't want to just believe you. I would like to know, can you tell me how I can know this? And uh, I think there's a lot of utility in that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a, been a rise in, in distrust of, you know, media and, of course, pharmaceutical. Here's what this, you know, I'll be honest, this 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 surprises me that, you know, we we. We know pharmaceutical companies aren't 100% above board, you know, and, yeah, and there's yeah. been the, the opiate crisis and, and the drugs that got approved when they knew the whole time would cause certain things. And and yet they pushed them through for profit. And I mean, all that stuff, that's not conspiracy theory. Like, that's all shit. We all fucking know it's a, it's all a fact. And yeah. so I can understand why there might be some vaccination hesitancy or Whatever, I get that. Uh, but 
when when it goes to the extreme of there's a chip in it, <laughs> you know, it's like um, it it just gets it it gets crazy, and and it, like you said, there's so many there's a there's a nuanced conversation, and I think both people on the left and the right sometimes can be just closed to to that, and the, and they just go with the no one size fits all and this is the way it is. And it's like, well, no, there should be a conversation here and, yep. and we should, you know, legitimately look at, you know, the numbers and the efficacy and the, this and the, that and the other, and like, let's have a conversation. But I think we, we both on both sides, sometimes we just dig our heels in, we double down, triple down, and we just start doing these backflips. And we both, we both, in my opinion, both sides can get, irrational uh yeah. but it's like a scale I, I that that was one of the things that uh has led me away from religion because it was an us and them thing right everybody in the church was good and godly and going to heaven and everybody outside the church was evil and bad and going to hell and i wasn't to have anything to do with them and then i get out in the world and i'm hanging around with people and i'm like man this guy's a really nice guy and then i found out he's an atheist i'm like how the fuck is that possible like you know <laughs> how is this possible you know i was serving side by side with him at, for the homeless mission and this guy's an atheist like this does this is this is <laughs> this is confusing yeah. my mind everybody outside the church is evil and i'm having the experience that that's not true yeah well, I think, you know, pharmaceutical industry is a great example of nuance, right? We know that they produce a, a lot of uh, medications that genuinely help people. We yeah. know that uh, there are a lot of people who rely on specific science-based medications to be able to deal with things like pain or try to recover from illness, et cetera, you know, the antibiotic and whatnot. But we also know that wherever there are people and whenever there's money involved, there can be, and there often is corruption yeah. and, and a profit motive, right? I mean, this doesn't fit in a box. And I, I just think it's, it's situational and uh, we've got to be able to stop and say, fine, I'm going to dig into the soup of it and I'm going to find out, you know, as, as much I can. And this may not fit in my pocket. This may be just a messy, cloudy, foggy, uh, inconvenient slog that I'm just going to have to navigate as best I can. And this is true when it comes to political parties and positions and and uh, you know, philosophy, religion, the lack of religion, you know, the, it, the world is often a messy place. And I think, you know, it's, it's nice to put it all in a box, but most of it just doesn't fit there. Yeah. There's, there's certain uh, tweets and different things that have come around, you know, like you said, that have come down the pike that I don't resonate with though. I, I did not vote for Trump. Uh, but when yeah. I see people that say, if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. I'm just like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so, no, that's not true. You fucking moron. Just like if yeah. you don't get the vax, the vaccine, then you're an anti-vaxxer. No, that's actually not the truth. It's, I, I just hate those kind of, like you said, the little Twitter comments that are, well, they're just wrong. I mean, it's just not accurate. Um, and I don't like when we try to, that's why I like podcasts that I like the, 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 the long form conversation. Um, I don't like little sound bites because things can be taken out of context. I know I say some crazy ass shit that if, that if someone wanted to, you know, go through any of my podcasts, they could, they could pull some really fascinating yeah. little 
tidbits that would make me look like an insane person. Uh, but if you <laughs> no. listen to the entire podcast, it's like, oh, okay, well, that actually makes sense. Um, you know, that's, uh, I think you bring to attention one. It's like some of my, and I'm a hard left kind of guy, but I, you know, some of my fellow lefties, they, they say, if the result of what you is, is racism, then you are a racist. Well, there may be a little bit of truth to that, but I think I know people who, who voted for Trump who made it a single uh, issue, which was abortion. Yeah. And they didn't, they just shut their minds down on everything else. They weren't motivated by racism. They voted for Trump, but they were motivated from what they see is a moral fight to protect human life. And, right. and, and they don't fit in a box. And that is an example, I think, of what you're speaking about. Now, they em enabled and empowered a very destructive force. And I think that we can't ignore that. But to say they are this one word and that sums them up is simply unfair to the issue. People do what they do, believe what they believe and vote what they vote for a huge variety of different reasons. And understanding those reasons are the ticket to combating them and changing and trying to, to replace bad ideas with better ones. You know, we're dealing with human beings. I think we start there. Yeah. So in your, your podcasting over the last 10, 11 years, have you had any super memorable conversations, AKA, you know, also have like, not just with atheists, but have you had any good conversations with, with a religious person that you walked away thinking, you know, I still don't, I don't believe that, but that, that person was a, a thoughtful person at least, or at least, um, open-minded, uh, or do you talk much with, with the religious folks much? Are you pretty much only talking to atheists? Sorry, that was a mixed uh, no, up I'm, question, but no, no, no. I, I was tracking, uh, I've done, I've guested on some religious shows and interfaith shows and I think I had, um, I've had a few people on my broadcast, you know, um, and sometimes I get that sort of, um, I don't know, it's nauseatingly condescending kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, well, but, uh, you know, it, the way they speak to me, it's, it's, it's almost like I'm a broken thing. It doesn't happen often, you know, yeah. uh, but. I did have a conversation. I, it's been a little while, so I, I honestly can't remember the name of it, but I think it's in my it's in my archive. But he was a guy who was, I think, a professing Christian, but he was on a journey. Right. And and to his credit, I think he was like, well, I, I'm starting to I'm starting to kick the tires on this thing. And so he wanted to have a conversation and be honest about his own doubts and concerns. And so, you know, we just had a, a good faith conversation, two people who stood on different sides of the God question, who said, you know, let's just hash it out. Let's talk about some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I have those conversations uh, from time to time from people who are genuinely, you know, they're interested. It's not like they turn on a dime and say, you're absolutely right. Let us join hands together. And, and, but they, you know, they don't speak in bumper stickers. They, they're not interested in judgment or othering. You know, those people do exist. You know, my, my neighbor is one of my favorite people in the world. He's a worship pastor, a hardcore Christian, a worship pastor at a nearby church. And he's just a lovely man. We've had some great conversations. You know, neither one of us have run, you know, toward each other and said, you're absolutely right. But we are talking. We are 
understanding each other. And more important than that, I think, is we are celebrating shared values. We both love people. We both love goodness. We both want uh, a better world. We may disagree about how to get there, but I think we have more in common than we ever had apart. And that's been a great place to start. Yeah, I know for me, I I don't, um, I don't have an agenda. You know, my, my podcast is literally not to convert or deconvert or deconstruct or any, like it's none of that. It's just a personal probably therapeutic practice for me to to have conversations, to interview people. I mean, my last interview was with a a sex worker and we had a great conversation about her life and her journey. And she comes from a Southern Baptist background and now she's a sex worker. And I mean, I'm just having fun, having conversations with interesting people and hearing their story. And as a subcontext, I usually always like to ask kind of what, where you come from spiritually or religiously and kind of hear people's story. And I find that a lot of people outside of like the hardcore religious folks, most people have had questions and, and early on started going, I don't know if I believe this or not. Yeah. And even those that are in church, I, I, I wasn't ignorant enough to believe and even in my church that everybody believed the same thing. I know there were people that were literally there just for the networking. You know, they were there just to, to, to promote their real estate business in the community. And I had a pretty vibrant church at the time. <laughs> so, you know, I knew yeah. they were there for, for the money and the connections and other people were there just for the free donuts and coffee. And, and some people mm-hmm. were there for the, you know, cause their spouse was there. Um, and you know that, but you would ask them privately and they're like, Oh yeah, I think this is all bullshit, but you know, Hey, I think Timmy has yeah. cool hair. So uh, that's why. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I think I, I get that. So I, I personally don't, don't have any kind of an agenda and I've never felt like you have an agenda other than, you know, propagating or t- teaching or talking about your own journey and what you believe and where you're at. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've lived kind of a, a public private and it's weird. I'm very private, but I seem to be so public much like you, you're, you're so out there and doing stuff all the time that, you know, people feel like they know you, but, um, you know, there's a, there's an internal struggle that, and we're not in struggle, but just for me, like this was early on. I mean, I can remember preparing messages for Sunday morning and just struggling to, to, because I'm like, I just don't believe that I can, I don't, I can't teach that. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, it just it eventually is what led me to walk away from it because I'm like, I can't teach this in, in a way that's uh, what I just can't, I, I just can't yeah. teach this like this anymore. Cause I just don't, I don't believe in it anymore like that. Um, so in your, in your journey over the last, um, especially when it comes to conspiracy theories. So when, when did you start hearing about and, and hearing that label conspiracy theory? Cause like the Snowden thing, unlike, cause you brought that up earlier about certain things that, you know, JFK and all this, some of those things, I think when they get proved to be true, people say, see, we used to think that was a lie. And now we know that's true. The government's spying on us, which then yeah. it's like, well, then that means that, that, you know, they are sucking the blood of children. <laughs> yeah. So what was, what was kind of your early on exposure to, to any conspiracy theories? Well, 
you know, I, I, um, I wasn't really out there as a believer when it came to some of the wilder stuff, you know, the moon landing and, and, uh, but, you know, I did uh, hold to this idea that uh, the maneuverings of Russia, my father used to talk about, you know, the, the waking bear and this idea yes. that communism was uh, part of uh, communism was actually going to be an extension of the tool of the antichrist. And I was a huge Christian nationalist. So, you know, the United States is the greatest country in the, in the world because we are, I couldn't qualify how and why we are. I hadn't actually looked at the statistics of quality of life and crime and the availability of healthcare and poverty and, and all these other things, the murder rate, you know, and once I did actually, you know, last, uh, when I, in my, my recent book, I did a whole chapter on the good old days that it literally goes into the, the metrics of what's the greatest country in the world, Switzerland, uh, you know, it wasn't <laughs> us, but, but, I, but I believed you know, I'd been trained to believe that uh, we are because we are. We are, we are right. by declaration. And it's convenient that the place that I accidentally happened to be born was, uh, you know, was greater than all the other countries. Just tribalism. Right. You know? Yeah. The right and religion so I, is here. The right. Right. I, yeah. Yeah. I, my faith is better than your faith is better than their faith. Blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's funny when I was coming out of religion. I was uh, reading uh, some of the works of uh, famous atheists, you know, Dawkins, et cetera. And they talked about the phenomenon of confirmation bias and how we, our brains are really wired to count the hits and ignore the misses. So if I'm scanning the radar for a, a conspiracy against group X and I find an example of that, that I'm willing to ignore everything else that's going on and graft myself to that example and say, aha, right? I, just like you said, I have that aha moment. I am now validated. Now, you know, there can be a hundred other instances that happened in a relative time frame that where nothing happened or the opposite happened, but I'm not interested mentally, psychologically, emotionally in, in those things. I'm only interested in the validation. And there's a human tendency, I think, to do this. And I became very aware of it as I was uh, coming out of my faith. I, I realized that the same had been true for me in the Bible. You know, if I saw something that validated my value system, I would count that hit. And if I saw something that was morally abhorrent, I would ignore it or discard it or rationalize and excuse it, you know. And I, I really became aware of it then. And and it's something I think we we're all guilty of. The human brain is very impressionable where we all want to be validated. We all hate to be wrong and want to be right. And it's just something I think we have to fight against as best we can, wherever we are. Yeah. The, you, you bring up the, that's a, it's, that would be true with the vaccination thing. I mean, you, you look, what is it? Billions and billions of people have been, I don't mean the COVID vax, but just vaccinated. So that the link between yeah. that and autism, it's like, Billions have of kids, uh, me included, were vaccinated as kids and didn't wind up with autism. S but they ignore the billions and look at the one case in Montana where, you know, a kid goes in normal and comes out apparently affected by the vaccine. Uh, it, it's like. But they ignore the billions and the billions of people that have no response, no problem. Everything's fine. Um, 
Yeah, I, I find that it's like you know, a hundred thousand airplanes will take off and land every single day, right? And yet, you know, once a, a every six months, we hear about an aberrant uh, event where a plane falls in the sky and people are killed. And yet, you know, we're not banning air travel, right? right? And, and I think when you see rare examples and you're scanning, right now, you the people who are against flying. They point to the the crash and say, "See, it's unsafe." Yeah. And uh, this can be true in so many instances. And um, I think that the best defense we have against it is to simply be aware that it happens, and uh, to try to methodically go through. Well, how did I get to that belief? What are my biases? How do I feel emotionally? Does my heart really impact my mind? Is it uh, you know feelings over reason? How how could I get past it? And ask some of those questions. You know, it's the best. I think it's the best defense that we have against um, confirmation bias out there. So. Yeah, the Mike. I I think the thing that has been helpful to me is one. I'm 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 skeptical. Uh, I think a little bit by nature. You know, if someone says something, I'm like, uh, maybe. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know, I'm just a little. You know, I I, I want to kind of verify certain things. I mean, I'm fairly trusting, but you know, if someone says, "Oh, here, do this. It'll be good for you," I'm like, ah. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to Google that and then just see, and, and it saved me, you know, it saved me. I, in fact, literally today, Seth, I, I, just before I called you, I had gone to the, to my PO box and I had a check, I had a check in there for $3,000 made to Timmy Gibson. And I was like, I mean, it looked like a real check. Everything about it seems somewhat like legit, but there was something about it that didn't seem legit. Then I got a text, just a random text out of the air. Did you receive our check? (laughs) (laughs) And so I sent back a message and I'm like, okay, I'm going to play along. I said, yes, I did. They said, I said, and I made the mistake, which I knew I was setting them up for this. So I said, yeah, but it, it was made for, you know, $2,000 above the, you know, above the charge or whatever. And they said, oh, our mistake, (laughs) if you would just Mm. write us a check. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, and and I'm sure people, smart people have fallen for this. I'm just not that kind of a person. I don't get suckered. And I thought, I thought, yeah, this is a scam. Clear as a bell. It's like, like, I know this is a scam. So I replied with. I'm turning this check over to the FBI with your phone number and your email. Thank you. You know what's yeah. weird? They stopped texting me. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works. You know, it, it, the Bible, if I can, you know, I'm, I know we're speaking about conspiracies, but the Bible is not hugely kind to doubt. You know, uh, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown yep. and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Uh, when uh, Thomas doubted that Christ had resurrected, you know, he said, show me the nail holes. I want to see for myself. And and he was admonished by Jesus, you know, and, and Christianity itself is doesn't like doubt. Uh, you know, belief is the most important thing. And the more crazy it sounds, the more it tests our faith and the more we're supposed to believe. And, but, it, you know, I, I'm interested that we use doubt 
so much in the rest of our lives as a protective mechanism. The stranger tells your kid, get in my car, I've got candy. We teach them to doubt because it'll protect them. If somebody's selling us a credit card scam and says they can make us rich or we received an inheritance or whatever, we doubt that and that doubt becomes useful. It protects us from being harmed or taken advantage of. We use doubt all the time in our everyday lives and that doubt is a good thing. And uh, I did a speech years ago called The Beauty of Doubt, which tried to turn this religious notion of doubt on its ear. You know, doubt is often our friend. Doubt keeps us from buying everything that someone is trying to sell. And any worthy God would not be threatened by doubt, but would actually understand that doubt and then would bridge any gap to make sure that we didn't have any doubt moving forward. And so the, you know, the burden is really on the deity to make sure that there's no question, there is no doubt, and certainly that deity wouldn't be threatened by our challenges, concerns, our questions. You know, and, and that's, I think, as, as I encourage everybody listening, you know, embrace doubt. Doubt's okay. It doesn't mean you're weak. It's not necessarily, you know, anything bad. It's not an attack of wicked forces. Doubt is often a way that you can protect yourself from bad ideas and help you embrace the better ones. Yeah. And I say, if anybody has a problem with all my question and doubts and my thoughts, then they just need to blame my creator. You know, I'm like, yeah. uh, like he made me this way or she made me this way. So, you know, if you really believe in, in that God created us, then you should be okay with, um, people having questions because it, 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 you know, it came from God and I, my, my, my questions and doubts are sincere. So, uh, I, I can't say well, that'd be a problem. It, you know, to speak to, um, to what you said about the Kinham Bill Nye debate, that final question, what would it take to change your mind? You know, people have often asked me, what would it take to get you to believe in God? And I used to say just one piece of evidence, a good piece of evidence, which is still a pretty good answer. Yeah. But I heard a I heard a better answer. And it was, you know, if God knows everything, God knows exactly what it would take to prove himself to me. Right. And so really the burden remains on God. If God knows me and he he's able to do everything and he knows everything, God knows exactly the recipe to get me to understand him and believe in him. So the burden remains on God. Whatever he would do should right. be enough. And if that God hasn't taken that step, that's not my fault. Right. So I, I have an, one more question for you. And I'm, this will probably lead into a hundred more, but I have one more specific question because I I've I've often this is a big question that's in my own mind. And I'm I'm assuming that you've you're further along in this journey. Well, I know you're further along in your journey. And have and have done your research and had more conversations around this idea. So, a couple questions in one question. One, what was the purpose of the Bible originally? Like, how? Like, what do you? Why do we even have the Bible? Uh, you know, I mean, do we? I, maybe we don't know this, but in like, how did it become the Bible? Like, how in the fuck did this book be around for 2000 years and be considered by so many, you know, several billion to be the word of God. How did that happen? I find that fascinating that it survived the test of time, if you will. And here yeah. we are in 2021 with this book that's been around for however long. And I'm just wondering who in the big, who put the fucking thing together and said, Hey, we're going to, try to get everybody to believe this and do this? Or do you think it was 
there's not a conspiracy. It just kind of happened. And then people later put the, cause I, I, I was a sincere, I know you were too. I was a sincere believer. I genuinely believed in what I believed I had was heartfelt. I cared about people. I didn't want them to go to hell. So for me, I was a part of the conspiracy, but I was earnestly since I was genuine, you know, I wasn't yeah. like secretly going, I know this isn't true, but I'm going to do this for profit. I want to deceive people. And, you know, like that wasn't in my mind. I was just doing what I thought was right. And what I thought God wanted me to do. So now in this journey, I'm like, well, where, where does the Bible really come from and who put it together and why do we have it? Yeah. Well, it, it's a great question. I, it, it could also relate to where do we get the Bhagavad Gita? Where do we get the, you know, where do we get the, the early, I mean, I think uh, the Hindu writings date back to 5,000 years. Why, why were they written? What, what purpose did they serve? I, I in my own research have seen the utility of essentially in-group tribalism, you know, the, Christianity came on the heels. This is a whole other podcast and I'm, I, I'm not, I'm just going to dab my toe into it, but Christianity, you know, came as kind of a syn syncretic religion before that polytheism was really the order of the day. You know, the, the, the other religions were often polytheistic. So you had a God of the harvest and you had a God of war, God of the sun, goddess of love, etc. And, you know, there were different factions who would one up each other and say, oh, yeah, well, our God has all of the same attributes, except they're also this. So they're more powerful. And Christianity comes along and it has one God that happens to be everything. The God of agriculture and love and war, and etc. You know, yeah. and you can see the echoes of previous gods and the Abrahamic God. And then that becomes really a, a powerful, I think, political force. Why did the authors write what they wrote? Well, why did the authors of the Hindu text or the Buddhist text write what they wrote? There are a myriad of different reasons, but we know that there was a lot of political backing behind enforcing the writings of the Gospels, you know, and we, we notice by reading the Gospels that even the Gospels themselves are different because the authors had different motivations. The, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all depicted different Jesus. He yeah. was born differently. He lived differently. He died differently. He spoke different words. There were different motivations behind the writings and all of them. I think the earliest gospel was Mark. It came at what, 80 AD? Yeah. You know, there, there are so many. And then you've got Rome, who's essentially enforcing the state religion of Christianity. Then you've got the Crusades. You know, people like to talk about Christianity like it was spread by these loving missionaries who all went and they tapped the uh, the primitives for you. But the truth was, is that through religious wars and conquest and genocide, there were Christian crusaders who actually went out, slaughtered the infidel and the heathen <laughs> and established Christianity as you know, you will believe in God or we will put you on the rack. We will burn you as a witch. You know, it became an edict. And this was true throughout the ages. And, you know, that's just one of about a thousand reasons. But if you've noticed, if you want proof of evolution, look at Christianity. The Christianity people practice today is nothing like the Christianity practiced a few hundred years ago. Man, no. if, you'd come, if you'd come out and said, well, you know, I don't think the Adam and Eve story is literal. Man, you could have been executed as a yes. heretic if you if you just said, yeah, I don't know if Moses existed or not, or you know what, I love gay people and I'm going to reject those those verses. If you had done that just a few hundred years ago, 
you would have been ostracized. You might have been imprisoned. You know, it's so what's happened is it's almost like the Catholic Church, which rejected the science of evolution until just the 1980s, until the avalanche of, of evidence became so overwhelming that they couldn't ignore it. And in order to stay relevant, they finally had to say, okay, yes, we now accept it. It's guided by God, but we now accept evolution. Christianity is always evolving to adapt to the culture, to stay relevant. But even then it's beginning to wane. The non-religious, those who are not engaged in organized religion, that number is going up and up and up. It's the fastest growing quote unquote religious demographic in the country. And COVID has given people an even greater excuse not to get up on Sunday mornings and plunk down their 10%. They're staying home. They're staying with their families. So, you know, we're seeing even now in the United States, the influence of hardline fundy Christianity is there, but the number of practicing fundy Christians is actually on the decline. And I think that's a trend that we're going to see continue. Well, you and I are old enough, Seth. Well, I'm maybe older than you. I'm 52. You know, I've I've been around long enough to have seen uh, Christianity evolve, too. I mean, I I remember specific sermons. uh, You know, men shouldn't have long hair. Men shouldn't have earrings, all which I'm guilty of. Men shouldn't have or people shouldn't have tattoos. interracial marriage was frowned upon, you know, women should wear skirts past the knee, shouldn't wear two piece swimsuits, uh, you know, the burning of, oh. of music. I mean, if you had a church like that now, you would be like, you'd maybe have 25 members and they would all be from the same family. It would be an ancestral type church. That's just looked at by society as a cult. But yeah. that was the church I grew up in. They taught well, you know, uh, this shit. I had a, a Baptist pastor growing up at Eastwood, Bill Hogue, and he, he said it from the stage. Women, according to scripture, should be silent in church. Well, well, that one's true, order, though, Seth. No, I'm <laughs> I'm in order to be more equal, to be more egalitarian, people just simply white it out that scripture and now you've got the Joyce Myers and the Paula Whites and you've got all of these you know we've got the Methodist Church and the Episcopalian Church who are now allowing uh, LGBT people to be ordained to be ministers well the only way the only reason that that's happening is that uh, the church is evolving to try to stay relevant and I think, you know, that there are many people, I think, who are genuinely productively motivated to love other people and they're not interested in judgment. But the bigoted church, the hardline church is more and more having trouble surviving. So how do they survive? They reflect the culture and the culture is becoming less bigoted toward these people and more accepting and more loving. And I think the church is going to have to adapt. Christianity is one of the greatest proofs of evolution that has ever existed. I, I stand by that statement. Yeah. So. Do you think, do you think there's going to come a day where religion will be just very small, just like if any, how can I, I don't even know how to word the question. Do you think religion uh, will be around it. for long? Uh, I think religion will always be with us. And I think, uh, 
some of that speaks to the there is a human desire to believe and there's a lot of been a lot of psychological studies on on how humans respond to a parental figure that gives security and meets needs and i think that's one of the reasons why we call our gods the father right, right. the mother mother earth father god there are biological triggers that cause us to lean into those types of stories i think as long as there are people who can benefit from religious ideas whether it's financially or in terms of influence i think as long as there are people who are irrational and prone to conspiracies religion will exist but i also think and this is one of the reasons why i'm a humanist and i think we need to try to alleviate suffering on this earth as long as we have people who live their lives in misery they'll always be looking to the hope of another life where they aren't poor and they aren't sick and they aren't they don't have cancer and you know their child they're going to be reunited with the child who was who was afflicted with ms or whatever you know there will be a happy ending to our story because we can't find happiness here i think as long as human misery is a real problem religion will always be a bomb that gotcha. helps people to to maybe think, well, one day it's going to be better. The sweet and by and good, by. Yeah, that's a good motivator, I think, for us to try to meet their needs now. You know, if, if you're not miserable in this life, you could really suck the marrow out of this life and enjoy the moments and uh, not be burdened. Then you're not looking to the horizon saying one day it will all be great. You can have the great now, you know. And with with, with your um atheistic view i would assume this means you're you're you don't believe in like uh palm reading and someone's a psychic and like you don't believe in all that stuff i, I just haven't seen any evidence in fact i've seen uh people like uh he's a mentalist his name is darren brown d-e-r-r-e-n he's huge in the uk and he people like james randy have debunked the tactics of psychics they talk about cold reading and how how the tricks of the trade are done and the more you learn about the psychic and you know how they operate and what they're claiming and and how they know what they know that seems so impossible to know you realize it's not that impossible after all the human mind can be manipulated and i you know until you can prove in a lab under you know laboratory conditions a repeatable testable claim that a psychic is able to to tell the future to know what's not knowable to speak to the dead until you prove that i'm simply unconvinced that's my position yeah no well i'm with you there i i i have seen a lot of the the debunking uh, i forget that one preacher that you know had the earpiece in his ear and, oh yeah, Peter Popoff. Yeah, Peter Popoff, and how he was, you know, discovered to to be a fraud and all that, and how, you know, whenever they're tried to, when psychics or people like that are, are put on the spot without the earpiece, they're like, well, I'm just not, I don't know, the the, the signals being, you know, they act like there's a there's a spiritual blockage that's not allowing the signal to come through. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, it's because the radio's not working. You you liar, <laughs> you know, but I, I was oh, talking I've to seen the tricks. Yeah. You oh, know, go ahead. Yeah. Go well, ahead. I was just saying, I, I was talking to someone not too long ago and they're really, this person's a really neat person. I uh, kind of was kind of dating this person a little bit off and on. This was a little, a little while back and they, they, they said they were psychic and I was like, Oh brother, you know, here we go. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so just, you know, I'm just, yeah, I don't, don't believe that stuff. I mean, I believe that people can have, you know, maybe a, 
be a little bit more gifted in intuition or, you know, can read, in my opinion, kind of read people. And I actually, this is when I knew that it wasn't going to work out between me and this person, because I said, I said, well, yeah, I said, I, I actually saw a, a show where this guy, he works as a, as a psychic, but he, he, he's confessed that it's a skill. It's a, it's a talent that he knows how to read people and he knows how to influence people. And, and he, then went on the, maybe it's the same guy you're talking about, but then he also went on many TV shows and would, would be on there with a psychic and do the same things the psychic was doing, but just say, yeah, like this isn't, I'm not a psychic. I'm just, yeah. I'm gifted. I'm skilled or whatever. And when I told this to this person, th this is what they said. This is, goes back to that confirmation bias, doubling down echo chamber stuff. She literally said, well, he's just a psychic and doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going on national television telling the world, no, I'm not psychic. I have skills. I am talented. I know how to read people and influence people. I can also steal a watch off someone's arm without them knowing it. I'm not psychic. <laughs> And she's yeah, like, no, yeah. he's psychic. He just is not admitting to it. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do you argue with that? <laughs> you, you Many times you can't. And I don't spend too much time on those who are just closed systems. Um, I, uh, you know, I might plant the seed here and there, but mostly I'm, I'm interested in those who are becoming increasingly dissatisfied. And saying, you know, what if maybe their minds are a little bit open to to understanding that, you know, there's there are a lot of people, there's a lot of bunk out there. And uh, I found that those are the more satisfying and occasionally productive conversations to have. Yeah. Well, Seth, I, I've taken a lot of your time today. I, I want to uh, I didn't know this is terrible. I should know this. I I should I feel almost embarrassed to mention this. You've said something about a couple books. I didn't realize that you've written books. How many books have you written and where can we find them? Uh, well, um, I've, I've written four and I'm about to publish number five. They're not, I mean, it's not great literature, but I'm proud of them. You know? <laughs> um, I wrote uh, my 2011 autobiography, which chronicles my evangelical upbringing my Christian radio days. I was a Christian broadcaster for 12 years and then how I got out because that was a question I got a lot. Like how in the world uh, did you, what, how did you believe it? And then how did you get out? So that's a memoir that sort of chronicles that. I wrote a, a 2015 book called Sacred Cows, which pinballs around the world to talk about some of the wilder, weirder beliefs and on the planet, you know, we get into the cargo cults and Scientology. There's a whole chapter on the psychics and palm reading and how the psychics operate and that type of thing. Oh, I cool. have a chapter on end of the world predictions and how for thousands of years people have been saying the, the world's going to end this year, you know, and it never has happened. Well, you see, um, you see the signs, Seth. Don't you see all the signs? Yep. The world the and wars of and rumors of wars. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. What's that mean that says? I believe Jesus will return in my lifetime, signed billions of dead people. You know, uh, <laughs> That's an argument I have no, too often. Anyway, sorry. I wrote a, a 2019 book called Confessions of a Former Fox News Christian. This book is a lot more political. It talks about how I align the Christian faith with the Republican Party. 
and how the Christian nationalism of Fox News is impacting the culture. We get into everything about how Fox came to fruition, the gun culture, the NRA, the abortion debate, et cetera. And I'm working on another one that uh, gets into just some of the wild, wacky and weird stuff that I did as a believer that seemed normal at the time, but now just seems crazy. You know, stuff like communion, you know, you're eating flesh, drinking blood uh, once a month on communion Sunday. You know, it, if you were to say, I want to drink the blood and eat the flesh of Thor or Wotan or another deity, it sounds kind of nuts. But we did it as Christians and we thought, oh, this is a beautiful thing. You know, so that comes out uh, probably April, May of next year. So I've got a lot of uh, I got a lot of stuff going on out there. And then I wrote it. I'm a big fan of ghost stories. I don't believe in ghosts, but I love the genre. We do a ghost story podcast. Oh, every my October. gosh, that's cool. So I've got an audio book that released in 2018 of highly produced ghost stories that uh, oh. get into folklore and legend and then some actual stories. So that's, that's the four that are done. So. Well, that's awesome. I, I, so you mentioned the uh, Fox news. I'm curious, where do you get your news? Because I, I find again, you and I didn't even talk about this, so I don't know where you stand on this, but I find, you know, Fox four to be a kind of a joke. And I also find CNN to be a joke. Like I, I, I feel like CNN is exactly like Fox, but just on the other side. And yeah, yeah, I'm curious where uh, you're at. I, I, I used to, I used to make them equivalent. Now I don't see. I obviously every news organization has its slant. You know, yeah. Um, I see, like I see a, an opposite react. I see MSNBC as more of the flip side of the coin to Fox than I do CNN. Oh, okay. But I, I don't think that all media outlets are equally biased. And so I, I there is research, and I wrote about this in Fox News Christian, that uh, a tremendous percentage of people in the Fox News culture get all of their news from Fox News and right-wing talk radio. And yet people on the other side of the political spectrum tend to get their news from a, a greater variety of sources, including local news. So they tend to scan all these different, you know, NPR and whether it's CNN or whether it's Washington Post or whether it's the New York Times or whether it's their local stations. And so they get more variety. There is a, um, uh, a great graph that um, shows... Uh, it charts media bias. It's by Ad Fonts Media. And then you can pull it up online. Ad F-O-N-T-E-S, two words. And it actually has a chart and it shows how left wing and how right wing and center and how biased or unbiased. And they use a ton of metrics to determine this. And I found it's a pretty good guide to finding some of the more centered reporting that's out there. Ad Fonts Media bias chart. Maybe that'll help some people. Okay, bias charts. Do you, are you yeah. a, do you a Joe Rogan fan at all? Uh, not hugely. He's he's kind of he's bugged me a little bit because he's a little bit of a conspiracy guy, but I got nothing against him. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've just wondered. I I I know he's you know he touts himself as a as a liberal, and you know it said he would have voted for Bernie Sanders had Bernie Sanders ended up you know being available to be voted for or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, and I I I do. Um, I do listen to his podcast. And I, I do enjoy it. Uh, you know, he talks a lot about UFOs and different things too, sometimes and, and, you know, all of that. But yeah. I, I find him to be uh, at least 
uh, open to have conversations. You know, I, I feel like he's at least, I feel like he's curious and, and not just swallowing the, whatever pills being put out there. Yeah, that's, that's cool. So I, I, I find it, I find it difficult to, to find any kind of, uh, news media that I've, that doesn't have an agenda. I mean, I've found a few and, and I, I like the Hill and there's a few other ones I listen to. Cause I think one's, I think if I could be wrong, but I think the Hill is one of them's a Republican. The other one's a Democrat. And so they, they do it together and kind of, you know, debate each other through the program, which I like, um, yeah. gives me a little bit of, of both sides. Um, but yeah, I, I, I find the extremes nauseating, you know, it's, it's weird. You can see one story, uh, on Fox, you know, where, I don't know, Rand, Rand Paul, you know, attacks Fauci and puts him in his place. And then literally you go to CNN and it's like Fauci crushes Rand Paul. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, that's just unbelievable. Well, I don't see him. I think it depends on the story too, but I don't see them as equivalent. I, I think, if Fauci is on stage and he gives a, a definitive science-based refutation to the idea that bleach might be a cure for COVID, right? Right. And Fox is the one saying that, uh, you know, it, it might be the one saying that uh, Trump touts this as potential remedy and people are going and buying, you know, ivermectin or whatever the, the cure of the week is. And a scientist comes on and let's say it's on CNN or or another outlet uh, that says, well, you know, Fauci refutes bleach claim with science. Those aren't equivalent headlines. Right. I, I think one is actually more credible than the other. And I think there are cultures, and I think Fox News is, uh, I think it's a, a, a little bit of a different animal because it is playing to a white evangelical Republican, conservative, even conspiracy, you know, this white nationalist audience that comprises a huge number of its viewers. And it's pandering to them a little more than we say some of the other outlets. So I think you have it's a case by case. We're back to nuance. I think you have to look at them. What are the reporters saying is what they're saying based in the data. What does the data say? Who are the experts? And that means we got to do some legwork on our part. And uh, the burden is on us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Seth, always, always awesome talking to you. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show again and uh, talking about some conspiracy theory stuff and and just all the other conversations that we had. It's it's uh, it's been a fun journey for me to uh, see 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 your stuff and come across you accidentally and go, wait a minute, I recognize yeah. that dude's voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, no, it's 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 always a pleasure to talk and. You know, I, I hope we get a chance to cross paths again down the way. Yep. Sounds good. Seth, have a good one, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, brother. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. I'll see you. Bye.